Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. From the Radiant Church, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We are so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online, hey, as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. This is our final week and strategy for the struggle. And in this teaching series, we have explored what our strategy or lack thereof is for when you know life's greatest struggles hit us. We all have a strategy for winning, but but you know for achieving goals and obtaining dreams. But we don't usually plan for when things go south, right? So this is really important because how you react in those situations is really your strategy for the struggle. Few people have faced struggles like Joseph. Now his story is found near the end of Genesis. And we started in Genesis chapter 37 with a young 16-year-old Joseph who is the favorite of his father. Father's 12 sons. He knows it. His brothers know it. And man, do they hate him for it. He has dreams of his family bowing to him in a position of authority. And he makes what I think, and I think a lot of folks do as well, is, is a mistake by telling his family those dreams way too soon. And that causes resentment among his brothers to grow. And so one day, Joseph heads out to check out on them, and they throw him into this empty cistern, into a, a, a pit. And it's in that pit that Joseph encountered the struggle of hurt. When we deal with the struggle of hurt, our strategy has to be to trust and submit to God so we can avoid allowing bitterness to take root in our hearts. That's what will allow God to really truly heal us when we encounter those types of moments. Now, week number two, we learned that Joseph sold as a slave to a very important Egyptian official named Potiphar. And things are going really well for him. He's running the household. He's doing such a good job. There's no worries for Potiphar except what's he going to eat? But Potiphar's wife saw Joseph as a little bit of eye candy there, okay? And so she makes repeated attempts to sleep with him. And eventually, she accuses him of rape, falsely, I should add. And Joseph finds himself in prison. When we deal with the struggle of temptation, as we outlined in that week, our strategy is to remember what giving into that temptation, what it's going to cost us. And then we need to run, run away from temptation and run towards God. Now, while he's in prison, Joseph encounters Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer. Both of these guys have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams and they come true just as he interpreted them. But he tells the cupbearer, when you get out, remember me, okay? Well, two years go by before the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And so Pharaoh has some pretty disturbing dreams of his own. And it's then that the cupbearer remembers, holy cow, like Joseph, I got to go get that guy. (laughs) When we encounter the struggle of God's timing, which, which is really waiting, we need to consider God's promise and also consider God's process, how he's shaping us, he's molding us, our time for waiting and struggle. That's what prepares us for the dream that God has in store for our lives. Joseph doesn't get to where he is today without that time of waiting. You know, he's 16 when he gets the dreams of his family bowing down to him, and he's 32 when he appears before Pharaoh. So Pharaoh has two dreams in Genesis chapter 41, and both of them mean the same thing, but they're illustrated differently. So in one dream, 
there are seven fat cows that are eaten by seven skinny cows. In the next dream, he has seven shriveled heads of grain that eat up the full head, uh, seven full heads of grain. And so no one can tell Pharaoh what these dreams mean, but Joseph can. So he tells Pharaoh the dreams that, that he had are seven years of bumper crops that are coming. These are crops that are above and beyond what you would normally get. But after that, there's going to be seven more years of very intense famine. Because there's two dreams, it has the same meaning. It means that God will certainly cause these events to happen. By the way, anytime in Scripture where you see something that's repeated, whether it's a prophecy or a phrase, dreams, it means it's been firmly decided by God and there is no going back. So he's not going to change his mind. This is going to happen. So Joseph then has the courage to tell Pharaoh what he should do. And Pharaoh, you know, he thinks of himself as a living God. So for Joseph to boldly offer suggestions without being asked, that's quite extraordinary on its own. And he says that Pharaoh should collect a fifth of the bumper crops during the seven good years to store for the seven years of famine which will follow. And here is where I want to pick up in verse 37, okay? So Genesis 41, verse 37. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the Spirit of God. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you are. You'll be in charge of my court and all the people will take my, you know, orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. Verse 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in fine linen clothing and he hung a gold chain around his neck. And then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. Now remember that phrase. We're going to come back to that. That's the focus of our teaching here today. And wherever Joseph went, the command was given, kneel down. And so Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. What a just crazy journey, right? Like he's from favorite son to being sold as a slave, to being thrown in the prison for a crime he didn't commit, you know, being forgotten about for years. And now he, is the, he has the king's royal ring. He has the robe. He's being, you know, the second in command in Pharaoh's uh, Egypt. That, the, the, in those three words, second in command, that's what we read about in verse 43. They really jump out. Let me tell you why they jump out so much. In our culture, we, you know, we, we all want to be number one. Like Nobody wants to be second. I, I shared earlier in the series how growing up as a kid, my brothers and I had this mantra that, you know, second place is the first to lose, right? And so I, no one wants to be the first loser. No one remembers who number two was. Can you remember like who finished second to Usain Bolt or Michael Phelps in the Olympics? Like, do, you, do you remember who came in second in the World Series or the Super Bowl? Like over time, you forget the losers, <laughs> but winners last forever, right? And that's what makes this struggle just so intriguing. So Joseph is finally out of prison and he's finally given the authority that backs up his dreams that he had as a teenager. And, and he's told like, you are second in command, meaning Joseph is not going to be fulfilling necessarily his dreams. He's going to be working to fulfill Pharaoh's dreams. How, how do we struggle fulfilling someone else's dream when our own goes unfulfilled? How do we handle the struggle of humility? How does God use us 
to help others along the way when we aren't getting the help that we think we need? How, how do we go all in for someone else when, when you know, I may be, you know, or it may be a no benefit to us? It, it can be a struggle, right? To be the number two guy, number three guy, number four guy, whatever. How do we pray for someone's healing when we're struggling with our own physical issues and, and no one's really praying for us? Uh, can you serve somebody else when you yourself need to be served and ministered to? See, humility is a, is a struggle, and Joseph's actions really illustrate how it's possible to overcome this struggle and truly live a humble life. He goes all in, not to fulfill his dream, but to fulfill somebody else's dream, Pharaoh's dream. So, so what's the strategy for being second, right? What's the strategy for the struggle of humility? Well, I want to take you to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse number 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, man. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now let's just stop there for a second and tackle that first key in dealing with the struggle of humility. And that is this deflect selfish ambition. We see that in verse number three. Don't be selfish, Paul says. Don't impress people. Don't look out for you. Instead, put others ahead of yourself. That's really hard to do. And that's because we're naturally inclined to climb the ladder of success and promote ourselves. The world's value system says, it's, it's, it's all about me. Like, I got to do what I got to do to get ahead. But this attitude ultimately leads you to a broken place because it's, it, it's empty, you know? It, it brings momentary satisfaction. That's 100% true. But in the long run, it doesn't last. It's not sustainable. And that's just not how, you know, God's kingdom even works. There's a great danger in thinking that, you know, we have to be self-made people, that it's up to us to make our own way. And to be clear, what I'm talking about here and honing in on it is pride. So when God promotes you and you do get that better job or you do land the greater opportunity, there is a danger to say like, hey, look at me and look at what I did. Like, look at the connections and network I built to get here. Look at all the knowledge and skills that I acquired to make this happen because it really wasn't all you, you know, who gave you the skills, who, who gave you the knowledge, who aligned your path with the right people. Well, well, God did, right? And so God is the one who brought you to where you are. So when Joseph is interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, he doesn't take credit for himself. That look at what he says, Genesis 41 verse 16. He says, it's beyond my power to do this. Joseph replied, so, but God can tell you what it means and he can set you at ease. The whole reason that Pharaoh got him out of prison was to do this one job of interpreting his dreams and right away Joseph's like, yeah, like I can't actually do that, but I know a guy, right? And that should be our attitude in everything that we do. It's not me, it's God. Anything we do is because of God's grace, because God allowed it, because he used it, because he saved us, because he set us free, because he healed us, because he worked through us. It's all God. So Joseph was careful to give God the credit and he's careful to give God the glory. And man, we have to be careful too. Like we need to make sure that any praise coming our way doesn't become a subtle trap for us to fall into. You know, we like it when people say good things about us. It, it, it feeds our ego. We gravitate towards that. It's a natural thing to do. But deflect that praise from you to the Lord, okay? Mark chapter 9, Jesus' disciples uh, are, are arguing and, and he overhears them and uh, they're talking about who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. And so Jesus asks in verse 34, what are you guys talking about? 
And all of a sudden, things kind of get quiet because they knew, you know, like they knew they were debating about something that had the wrong attitude and motives. And so Jesus says this in Mark 9, 35. He says, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And that's how God's kingdom works. It's the opposite of the world's value system. So if you want to be great, you've got to be second. Learn to care for others first. Learn to deny yourself, to put others ahead of you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's what Philippians says, right? So when you do that, uh, you find fulfillment in your own life because you're helping others fulfill their dreams. Now here's the second key. Second key is this, reflect Christ's love. Let's look at the rest of Philippians chapter 2 as we kind of look at what it means to reflect the love of Christ. Look at verse number 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not about me, right? It's about Jesus. And as I deflect pride and selfish ambition by putting others ahead of myself, I'm in turn reflecting the love of Christ and following his example of humility. He left the glory, the power, and splendor of heaven to become a mortal being like us. He humbled himself. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus has a conversation with a scribe. Now, scribes were were experts in Jewish law, which was based on the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, okay? And the scribe is commended by Jesus for knowing what God's Word teaches and what it takes to receive eternal life. Hey, love God, love others as yourself. Got it. Super cool. But he gets hung up on the whole love others kind of thing because he wants to justify hating or discriminating against other types of people. So he's, he's looking for a loophole, which is a whole other message for another day. And that's what prompts Jesus to give his really famous Good Samaritan story where we have this basic takeaway that we should love people, care for them, value them, no matter who they are. Reflecting Christ's love means we are dying to ourselves and putting others ahead of us. Not almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? But if you want to be the greatest in God's kingdom, you have to become the servant or the least. Kingdom greatness is accomplished by serving other people. And when you can love God and love others in that way, you will live a humble life and you'll find yourself advancing. Because Jesus was faithful, because he was humble, even to the point of death on a cross, what God does in verse number nine, he elevates him. And that that fast track to promotion in God's kingdom, you know what it is? It's humility. There are a lot of great parallels between the humility of Joseph and Jesus. But just in general terms, both of them suffer. Both stay faithful. Both stay humble. Both are promoted. Joseph sees his family bow and acknowledge his authority, which does ultimately fulfill his dream. Jesus is given power and authority in heaven, 
and on earth to the point where every knee will bow, every person will acknowledge his spiritual authority, right? So promotion comes through humility. Joseph realized that if he could be faithful and humble enough to serve Pharaoh's dreams, his own dreams would eventually become reality as well. And if we can do that, you know, if we can do what Philippians 2 says and deflect selfish ambition and reflect the love of Christ, right? God will come alongside of us, man, he'll take care of us. He'll say, hey, you know what? I've got that. I'll take care of it. You love and serve these people around you. You leave destiny kind of up to me, right? By staying humble and serving Pharaoh, Joseph prepares Egypt for the coming famine, and he saves not only his family, who's later going to arrive, but the entire nation. So what we learn in Joseph's story is this, that God has a higher purpose for us. With every step that we take, he's faithful. He's with us. He's there. Sometimes, though, especially when the struggle is so hard, we can easily forget that. And it can feel like we're being demoted instead of promoted. Like we're going almost backwards. And I'm sure Joseph felt that way. I'm sure he felt he was going backwards and he's in the pit. And then he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And then he's in prison. And it was just backward living for him for 16 years. Very little hope. Little realization that the dreams he once had would come to fruition. And at times it may feel like God is demoting you, like you're going backwards. But what God is really doing is he is, he is doing what he did to Joseph, man. He is pulling you towards your destiny. God's pulling you towards your destiny. The, the pip. Potiphar's house, the prison, they were all a part of God's plan to bring Joseph to his destiny. We get discouraged in the pit and in the prison because we can't see what God's doing. We don't understand the process, but from a divine standpoint, God was preparing Joseph for the day that he would actually rule. When we go through the struggle, we have to remember that God is pulling us towards the destiny He has planned for us. If He's, you know, He's preparing us for kingdom authority. We're going to walk by faith. We're going to trust in God. We are going to make it if we stay faithful and allow Him to do so, right? Joseph would never have been in the palace. Think about this, if it had not been for the prison, and he wouldn't have been in the prison had not been for Potiphar's wife, and he wouldn't have been in Potiphar's house had not been for the pit. And even being forgotten for two years by the cupbearer, that's significant too, because it put Joseph in the right place at the right time. With each step and with each struggle, God was pulling Joseph closer and closer and closer to where he needed him to be. And I believe God can do the same thing for you today too. And so you may wonder, you know, where God is, and you may feel like, Perhaps God missed you, or you might feel like you've got no purpose. But I'm telling you today, God is pulling you towards your destiny. And your job was to remain faithful. I like what Paul says at the end of his letter to the Philippians, or the, I'm sorry, at the start of the letter to the Philippians, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, he says this, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Listen to me, what God has started, God will finish. Each step in the process, whether it's a struggle or a victory, is to finish the work that God began in your life. Years later, Joseph's family made the move to Egypt. Their father Jacob dies. His brothers are, are really anxious. They're afraid. Hey, you know, dad's gone. He's going to exact revenge, you know. But Joseph throws a curveball their way in what I think is one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture. And he tells them this, Genesis chapter 50, verse number 19. He says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Look at that. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So no, don't be afraid. I'll continue to take care of you 
and your children. You know, what God does through you is never just for you. The dreams he's given you are not solely for you. The hopes and visions and opportunities are not directly for you. God always has other people in mind. He's giving you a platform to reach people, to impact folks, to bring them into his kingdom. And he's also working generationally. That's one of the things you're going to notice about God in the Bible. God is a generational God. He blesses, curses, saves, forgives across generations. He's always looking at tomorrow and who is in tomorrow. And so Joseph wasn't saving just Egypt and his family. He was preserving and impacting the next generation. And an important question I think we should often ask ourselves is how will you impact the next generation? Because you're impacting the next generation one way or another. How will you do it? And, and for what purpose? Those are important questions to ask. Humility is not idolized, right? It's not sought after very often. It's not sexy. It's, it's, but if you want God to promote you and to expand your reach, if you want God to use you to make a powerful impact on the next generation, if you want God-given dreams to find fulfillment, you have to be humble. We overcome the struggle of humility you know, by deflecting selfish ambition and reflecting the love of Christ. God did it through Joseph. I think God can do it to you as well. Let me pray for you here today. Father, I thank you for each and every person who's watching and listening right now. Lord, I pray that if there are individuals struggling with humility, struggling uh, to deflect that selfish ambition, I pray, Lord, that you would remind them of this story of Joseph and how he didn't take the credit, he gave you the credit. How, Lord, throughout the, the struggle that he endured, he stayed faithful. And it's that faithfulness, that humility that he showed, that deflection of selfish pride and ambition, putting others first, caring for, that you rewarded him, you promoted him. Lord, help us to have the attitude of Christ and to reflect the love of Jesus for others. And as we reflect Christ's love, we impact the next generation. We impact folks in our community. We impact people in our households. We impact folks at our workplaces. You know, we become light in a, a, a dark world. So, Lord, may we always give you credit. May we always deflect praise to you. May we always reflect the love of Jesus for others. And may you use us to truly make a difference. Help us to fulfill our dreams by serving others. We love you. We praise you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.